May is Mental Health Awareness Month. It's a month that we've designated to remind us that there are people that go through seemingly unwinnable fights each and every day on a daily basis. But unfortunately, so many of us don't need to be reminded. We don't need to be reminded that there are days we can't get out of bed or that there are days that the anxiety is so heavy on our chest, we can't breathe. Or days that are so long and grueling and tough that we feel like not breathing at all is the easier way. When I was 18, a friend of mine decided that not breathing at all was better. We played at the same little league playground, graduated from the same high school. He was even one of my hosts when I visited LSU. And he was a dude, like he was a dog, he could ball. He was a freaking adult, he lived off campus, he had a fiance, he had a daughter. He was somebody I looked up to. What I remember about the day before he died was, he asked me three questions. He asked, you good? Which if you're from the boot, you know what that means. That means what the next question said, are you okay? And he said, do you need anything? I don't really remember how I answered that because I was more so just making fun of him that he finally decided to hang out. But there is something I don't remember about that day. I don't remember if I ever asked him back. I mean, I guess when you're 18 and somebody's asking if you're all right, you think to yourself that that person is the strong one. And that if he has time to ask me what's going on with me, then surely he's okay. But I'm old enough to know now that the strongest of us fight the biggest and the baddest and the most relentless demons. For people who are going through it, I know you think that you're going through it by yourself because your pain is so unique. The darkness makes the desperation so lonely, but there are so many people that share your experience. Some of them with names you know, Fred Taylor, Michael Beasley, Charlemagne the God, Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Most of their names, you'll never know. My friend's name was Nacelle Menard. He drove his car by himself to the levee with a shotgun. And I never saw him again. Selfishly, I keep thinking about those three dang questions. You good? Are you okay? And do you need anything? I hope somebody's asking you those questions. I hope that you're asking yourself those questions. But what I do need for you to do is answer those questions. Understand that it's all right to not be good. It's okay to not be okay. And needing something and admitting to it is a sign of bravery, not weakness. And the people that love you actually want to hear the answer to that question because they'd much rather be making new memories with you than sharing the old ones. I saw Nacelle's dad recently in the airport and he told me that he was proud of me. And I think Nacelle would be proud of me too. But I'll never truly know. I wish that he could just call me or text me and tell me, because if he could, then I'd tell him, you know, bro, sometimes I'm not okay either. Hold up. Limitless.
testament cap pinning it. I father here to witness it. Got my people feeling militant. Way I'm feeling, get me up. Uh, on a mission, get me up. Uh, knowing me, I got the key. Uh, only vision I can trust. Uh, trust. Uh, limitless. Take a stomach cap pinning it. I father here to witness it. Got my people feeling militant. Way I'm feeling, get me up. Uh, on a mission, get me up. Uh, knowing me, I got the key. This is Freddie T. I'm RC. This is Chan. We welcome Solomon Thomas third overall pick of the 2017 draft by the San Francisco 49ers. Most times when we do these shows, it's about the physical prowess of a player. It's about the things that he's accomplished on the gridiron. I would argue that you're making a much bigger impact off of the field. That for you, probably starts on January 23rd, 2018. I don't believe that is our story to tell. So we'll just let you take us through those events. First of all, Ryan, I'm sorry about your friend. And I'm over here already getting emotional hearing you describe going through the questions he asked you and the feelings that you went through from that, all too familiar. So January 23rd, 2018, um, I'm back in Texas after my rookie year. I'm home training, figuring out what the NFL is like, what the NFL offseason is. So I just go back home to my parents' house to be near my family, my sister, my mom, dad, and just want to kind of regroup and kind of see how I'm going to move forward. It was a Tuesday morning, and uh, I just got done with training back at house, back at the house, chilling with my sister's dog and, and, and my mom's dog. And my mom starts hitting me up. She's like, hey, hey, Sally, have you heard from Ella? And I was like, you know, uh, no, 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 why, what's up? Like, you know, I thought she was just at work or, you know, she was, she was off with friends or whatever, and, you know, just thinking everything's normal. You know, go upstairs, shower, come back down, and, um, you know, I uh, uh, get some more texts from my mom. Hey, Sally, still haven't heard from Ella. Like, you know where she is. Um, now I'm starting to get a little worried, and I'm like, no, haven't heard from her. Called her a couple times and didn't hear any answers. Um, texting her, like, yeah, hey, Ella, where are you? Like, she, my mom goes up to her work. She's not there. My mom goes back to school to keep teaching. And then I get a call from my dad, and, um, and he tells me that Ella died, and uh, <laughs> I just dropped to the floor, um, just crying. Ella's dog's crying all over me, and I'm licking all, all my tears and stuff, pushing them away. You know, drive to the site. You know, see my mom, see the see the ambulance, see the cars. And that shit was real. Like I don't know if I'm allowed to cuss, but it, shit was real. Yeah, like, cuss, I, I, it everything seemed so like it was like a movie. Like, like you know, I see the sirens, see the lights. I'm like, how is like what is going on? Like, and second by second, like is sitting in like my sister's dead and like and figuring out what happened all the emotions like the absolute worst day of my life like i remember that day i couldn't tell y'all i had a my dad i was heating up a bowl of bison chili when my dad called me like i remember everything about that day and i remember the pains of that day i remember seeing my mom cry hearing her screams but just everything like my sister's not here like but why like why is she not here why is she like just everything about it was just like the worst day of my life like that was just the beginning of everything for me. Like, I really feel like the last six years of my life, I've, I've become a whole new person. I have a whole new perspective on life. I feel like I have a whole new mission. Your sister, though, Ella, this wasn't one of those situations where the family didn't understand mm -hmm. or know that a family member was struggling. Mm -hmm. One of the things you've credited her, credited her with was the ability to communicate mm -hmm. certain things that she was going through. Mm -hmm. How did that factor in 
to the feelings afterwards, though? Was it one of those things where you were like, okay, well, at least I knew she was dealing with something? Or did it make you think, okay, Solomon, you knew she was dealing with something. Why didn't you do more? How much more could you have done? Yeah. How did her being able to communicate those things while she was alive affect your reaction afterwards? It's hard because being in this space, not being in the mental health world, I've learned so much more about mental health and understand so much more. That has made me feel like, you know, I wish I knew this because I wish I could have responded to this differently. I wish I could have asked her this more often. I wish I could have been more, more present and genuine with her when she told me these certain things because I'm gonna be real with y'all, like I wasn't always like, I understood my, uh, my sister was struggling with mental health, but I didn't truly understand it. I didn't know what that felt like. I didn't know what that meant. My mom would tell me Ella struggles with depression and anxiety. And I was just like, okay, like, all right, you know, Ella struggles, but I didn't really understand what that meant. But I understood what that meant when I went through it myself and afterwards and connecting with her on that spiritual level of like, this is what Ella went through. This is what she meant when she said that she was running away from sadness and she couldn't, she couldn't ever escape it. I look back and I get mad at myself and cause like, I feel like I was so naive. I didn't know enough. Like I would ask my sister, I would be like, Ella, why can't you be happy? Like I was in such this old archaic mindset, probably like we all were growing up, like, mm -hmm. like, hey, be a man, tough through it, put your head down and push through and you'll be fine. Like that's what I was on because that's what worked for me. And I thought I would just, if I gave her that tough love, she'll be able to push through. And you know, it, it's not the same. It's so, it's, it's so different. Like, you know, like strength isn't about being silent and just pushing through. Like when I was going through my hardest times, like after she died, those eight months after she died, I was extremely depressed. I didn't want to be here at all. Like, I, and I really mean that. Like, I really did not want to be here. Like, I, I didn't want to wake up. I didn't want to go to sleep. I didn't know how to handle the grief. I didn't know how to handle missing her. I didn't know how to handle getting all this information about mental health and understanding that, hey, I was doing everything wrong. And, you know, that was just so hard dealing with. Like, I didn't understand what was the point of moving forward. But going through that, I felt like I connected with her, like, even like past her dying, like, you know, I, I understood what she was going through, but understanding that now, like it's, it's, it's a, one thing that I struggle with to this day is the guilt of it. Cause it, and it's, it's a little egotistical of me. It's a little like, just like me thinking I'm, I'm a superhero sometimes, but I really believe if one person could have saved Ella, it, it could have been me. And that's why like this work means so much to me now. Cause I would, if I can have anyone learn to to say, to ask certain questions or to understand that mental health isn't just a feeling. It's not just like happiness isn't a choice or to put your head down and push through it. If I can have someone to understand that, to understand, hey, like depression, anxiety are diseases like anything else. Like you're not balancing enough cortisol or serotonin. These people are, are fighting for their life every day. When, once they wake up, they're fighting a war in their head every day and they're deciding, hey, I wanna continue to live and move on. If I can have someone understand that, like, and be able to be there for their friends, their family, themselves, and put that love for themselves, like, this will all be worth it. But to answer your question, that's the one thing I do struggle with, like, and, and I'm just being vulnerable and real with y'all, cause like, I'm not perfect and I, I do this work and people probably think that I take care of everything, like, right in my mental health life and dealing with my sister's death, but the guilt part of it is something that I, I can't escape, like, cause I love it, like, that's, that, my sister was everything to me, like, we had such a close relationship, close relationship, and, you know, so that, that, that will forever hurt, for sure. I wanna commend you, first and foremost, for going on this journey you know, in honor of your sister. But I, I do want to go back and ask you, because you said you fell into a few mm -hmm. bouts of depression yourself. You yeah. felt like you didn't want to be here. During those moments of trying to process and understand your sister's death, a few years removed from that, mm -hmm. you had an ACL injury that ended your season against the team that you play for yeah. now in the Jets. 
I've had my share of injuries, and mm -hmm. I know how it can make you feel when yeah. you can't get out there with the fellas and, yeah. you know, do your part. And being such a high pick, I, I'm pretty sure that also has a lot to do with it. Mm -hmm. Did you have to relive those moments of potential falling into depression when you were out as well? Did it, like, mm -hmm. reignite, you know, your sister's mm -hmm. uh, uh, passing? Yeah, I, I really do feel like spending a lot of that time off the field and not in the game, like, because the game was a vice for me sometimes. Sometimes it wasn't when I was dealing with depression, sometimes it was. And it was a way for me to vent and then kind of get through some things. And when you took that away, because I was finally in a good spot in the game, I was feeling good. I was like, this is my year. You know, I'm going to show everyone who I am. Like, and then ACL, like, oh, shoot, okay. Now I'm spending all this time rehabbing, trying to get everything right with my knee. But then there's no game. Like, there's no practice, no meetings. So where does my mind go during those times? Right. And sometimes we'll go back to those times when, you know, I think about, oh, like, I wish I, I, I would have said this to Ella. Like, oh, man, like, dang, like, going back to those times when, um, you know, I felt alone and, and, like, going back and getting stuck in those feelings again and feeling alone all over again because, like, I just had time on my hands and I was just, like, you know, shoot, like, you know, I feel like all the, all the sad things in life, like, Ella's not here, um, you know, seeing what my family went through, how it affected all of us. And, and also just when you're in this work and you're around it a lot and you're talking about it a lot, sometimes you can get stuck in these feelings, and especially when you're not balancing it. Like, we just launched our foundation when I tore my ACL, and I was doing a lot, a lot more mental health work, and I was kind of getting stuck in, like, you know, doing too much of that and not balancing it out. And I, for sure, was getting stuck in those, those feelings sometimes, and which caused me to get back learning how to love myself more. And I really, during my ACL, learned how to meditate more. I hired a mindfulness coach, um, and he helped me, like, just, like, learn how to, like, process my emotions and, and flow through it more. Got back into therapy more. Um, you know, started journaling more. I just had to learn all these things because at the beginning of the journey, I was I was not doing well with my ACL. Mm -hmm. I was struggling. I was felt alone. You know, I was mad I wasn't out there. I was going back to some of these depressed feelings of losing my sister and, and you know, feeling like, you know, I just had to push through things. Um, but I wouldn't change that journey because it did teach me how to take care of myself and how to, how to you know, have a mental health routine and how to... Um, Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You know like how I'm taking care of my ACL, also how to take care of my brain. I see uh, he said it's okay to not be okay. Mm -hmm. And I saw it on the back of your shirt. Mm -hmm. Could you expound on that and take us through your processes uh -huh. of managing your mental health? Mm -hmm. You know, the term, it's okay not to be okay, is, is a real one. It's something that we, we all should, like, really try to, try to live by. You know, we live in this world now on social media where everything's, you know, highlight, you know, kind of what you got. Um, the best times of your life, like all, all like you see if someone's post, it's not going to be like a sad post. It's going to be like good, 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 good. And we kind of get in this habit of living in the good and living in like what's great and, and you know, comparing and, and wanting more. Um, but that's not really what life is about. Like life is about the hard times, the adversity, the sad times. Like so we kind of get caught up in this in this like mentality of like, you know, if things aren't good, something's wrong with me. And, you know, that's what happened to me right after Ella died. I was so sad. I was depressed. But I felt like I had to be good. I felt like I, I felt like 
I feel like I was comparing my grief. I feel like, you know, I was like, other people have been through worse than me, why am I sad? Like, I can't be sad. I felt like, you know, as a man, like I couldn't show my emotions and cry and go to work and have a bad day because, you know, you know, men don't do that, you know. You know, I, I felt like, you know, I just was drafted third in the league. I got all this money, living my dream, like playing in the NFL. Like I felt so guilty and embarrassed for, for feeling not okay. And the reality is like, I was feeling emotions of the human experience, being depressed, being angry, feeling weird, anxious, awkward. All these feelings like are normal experiences of the human, human experience but we don't talk about them, we don't address them, especially as men, and, and, and when we feel them, we feel like, we kind of feel awkward and, and, and messy inside, like we're not supposed to feel this, and we, and we shame ourselves for it. And that's what I was doing, and, and it only made me not talk, it kept, it kept me silent, and it just would build my depression, and it built up to a point where, you know, I saw nothing but darkness, and I was very fortunate to make the decision to stay here um, and to have, you know, uh, a boss and general manager like John Lynch who asked me if I needed help, and making that decision to get help, I was I, I was able to see and through therapy, through help, that hey, like it's okay for me to feel like this. There's nothing wrong with me for feeling depressed after my sister died. That's a normal emotion. Like I'm not supposed to feel happy after she died. I'm not supposed to, even four years later, like I'm still supposed to be sad about it. So when I say it's okay not to be okay, I really mean that, hey, like you don't have to feel good all the time. And if you're going through a hard time, you're not broken. If you're depressed, you're not broken. If you're anxious, you're not broken. Like the storm you're going through, it will get better. And I understand when people say they have a fear of feeling like this forever, I, I've had that too, I've, and it comes back every now and then. But I know at some point, like the feeling's gonna change through loved ones, through my own mental health work, through therapy, whatever it is, like it will get better. And that's why I just encourage people like to understand that, hey, like, however you're feeling, like you're feeling that for a reason, be aware of it, address it, um, and understand that you're needed here. So, you know, keep going. You talk about, you know, being in the league when this happens and being depressed and the mm -hmm. injury and all. I would say when I played, and we're way older than you, mm -hmm. but it was almost a weakness. Mm -hmm. yeah. And in my, I don't know if I'm psyching myself out, but yeah. I, I can't tell this team I'm depressed. Yeah. Because you just said yeah. it. We got, we're paying you all this money. Yeah. You're, you're famous. Mm -hmm. Why are you depressed? Do you, do you feel as if when you did come, come out and tell the world mm -hmm. and explain to them how you're feeling, do you feel as if the, the league embraced that and really really helped mm -hmm. in the best case, in the best way they can? You know, I feel very fortunate for the reaction that I got from the league, you know, from, especially, I really uh, paid attention to more of what my teammates did and thought and like my teammates, the Niners, the management of the Niners, how they wrapped around me, took care of my family and myself. Uh, loved on me and, and showed me support was, I mean, unbelievable. Whether it's DeForest Buckner, Eric Arms said, text me, hey man, that article was beautiful. Like, you know, keep going. Or, you know, Cassius Morris during practice checking on me, like, hey, Sally, like, you okay? Like, just things like that, like, they don't understand how much that meant to me. Because in the moments I was really struggling, they really just kind of helped me going. But, um, but after like that, like, I, I really felt like there was a, a, a change in the NFL, like, towards mental health the last four or five years whether, you know, it's Dak speaking out, you know, or just like other athletes around the world, like Kevin Love was a big influence on me just to speak out and, and let people know that I'm struggling. Or, you know, DeMar DeRozan, you know, um, Simone Biles, so many athletes have spoken out now and kind of changed the atmosphere for athletes and mental health. But, you know, I, I'm very thankful for the reaction I got from the NFL because, um, you know, for example, like if I had gotten a reaction like Dak originally got from Skip Bayless, I don't know what I would have done because I was struggling that bad. And that's why, you know, I commend Dak so much for, for everything he does. Cause like he, I mean, I understand I'm an NFL player. I have like a background, I have a following, but like he's the quarterback of America's team mm -hmm. and he's 
one of the most followed quarterbacks in the world and under one of the biggest stages. So like when he did that and, and came out and spoke, like I think that was a huge shift in the NFL. And you know, I'm I was really, really proud of him for that for sure. I don't know if it's me, and I could be crazy. Mm -hmm. I'm taking a lot of supplements these days. They look alike. Boy. <laughs> <laughs> they look alike. Boy, y'all look alike, you and Dak. I get that a lot. Yeah. What was Pops them when y'all was down in Sydney, Australia? <laughs> they from Colin, from They moved from Australia yeah. to Texas, but Dak from the boot, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah Dak from, the, Dak's boot, from yeah. the boot. But boy, y'all yeah. got, you a big ass yeah. Dak. Exposed <laughs> ass it's, Dak. It's, it's actually crazy, because I get that all, when I'm in Dallas, like, people get mad at me, because I think that I'm lying to them. I'm like, no, no, I'm really not Dak. They're like, man, we just want a photo. Like, I'm like, no, no, I'm really not Dak. Like, oh, wow. like I probably get called Dak way more than I get called. Well, listen, yeah. you are, way swoller though so so don't <laughs> worry about it and yeah. a lot of times when you have the experiences that you've had mm -hmm. you can focus so much on them mm -hmm. that everything seems negative mm -hmm. and the things you had to say to ella and the players mm -hmm. tribune it was such so many at least to me just beautiful tributes to mm -hmm. who she was to you in life and mm -hmm. death yeah. and you even said you believe she saved your life. Mm -hmm. But part of that that I thought was beautiful, and I didn't know if I was supposed to be crying or laughing, was you saying that you and your parents, bro, got on a plane and smuggled your sister yeah. to a different country, <laughs> right? Yeah. And so if I'm getting this right, y'all went to one beach and mm -hmm. was supposed to go to another beach with kangaroos mm -hmm. or, or something or another. Can you kind of take me through yeah what that experience was, wow. man, because it had to be one yeah. of those where even in your sadness, you just had to laugh because, because you had to be yeah. like, Ella, like you're here yeah. right now living yeah. this. No, it was, it was really, it was uh, such an awesome experience, like, and, and like, you know, happy, sad, and all the emotions in between. So like, we didn't know if it was legal or not to carry ashes like to a different country. So we Googled it and, and it said it, it was illegal, but we were like, okay, we want to bury, we want to put Ella's ashes in, in a place where we grew up, where we felt whole. And that was uh, Pebbly Beach in Australia and Balmoral Beach in Australia. Like we grew up there and lived there for five years. And this was such a peaceful, loving time in our life. Like, like just going to the beach growing up was, was just such a peaceful, happy thing. And so we wanted to put Ella where, where she was her happiest. So my dad like, you know, wraps up the ashes. We put him in his bag, check his bag, take it over to Australia. And so the first beach we go to is Pebbly Beach. And it's a place we grew up where it was like a natural park. And so like kangaroos are there, like animals are there just always like just chilling. And we get there and there's no kangaroos there. And we're like, damn, like, you no, know, Ella, Ella was supposed to like, you know, we're supposed to hang with kangaroos one more time and send her off the right way. So we walk around for 30 minutes, see no kangaroos. I'm talking about nothing, no animals, just a beach and a couple other people. So, you know, we, you know, we're like, okay, like we've been here for about 30 minutes, getting close to like 45 an hour. Like, let's put the ashes in the, in the water and let's head out. So my mom makes a little heart. Um, Ella did her hearts funny. So we did a heart like she did her hearts and we put the ashes in there and kind of waited for, you know, the the, um, the waves to come take her away. And I'm telling you, once the waves take her away and like we say a prayer and, and start crying together, we turn around and 30 kangaroos come from the forest. I'm talking about like, it really like felt like a movie. Like people probably think I'm lying or like trying to like make a cool story. Like it literally was like that. And they come right up to us. Like I have all these videos of us playing with kangaroos, but they really felt like Ella was there with us. And she was saying, hey guys, I'm okay. I love y'all and keep going. So it's a forever moment that, you know, we, we, take, we take for our hearts, yeah. That's amazing. And it's one of those things that it's kind of rainbow after the storm. 
And you know, and the good book says that was Jesus's reminder mm. that he will be there in the end, that through the storm, you can make it out. And there is some beauty on the other side. And for you, you seem to be focused on making sure that other African-Americans aren't mm -hmm. going through it. And you said it yourself, the Defensive Line Foundation, which you started in May of 2021, it's for everybody. Mm -hmm. But we had Ryan Mundy on the mm -hmm. show, yeah. who I played with, who started Alco Me Health, and I talked a little bit about it to you yeah. before. There is such a stigma mm -hmm. in our communities. And it's yeah. also, there's a difference in our communities and others. Yeah. We are at the youth and adolescent age where yeah many of African-Americans or many of the, the young black adolescents take mm -hmm. their lives. Yeah. Why is there such a difference in the time mm -hmm. for people uh, of our culture as opposed right. to others? Yeah, I believe it's a, a mix of a lot of things. You know, I think our stigma comes all the way back to Jim Crow era, slavery, like everything we've been through. Like to be, all of us to be here right now, we've had, had to go through a lot of racial trauma, our parents a lot of racial trauma, like then th that has a huge effect on our life. But from that, we've always had to be strong. We've always had to push through. We could never show weakness. Like our, our parents like, expect, like, couldn't show weakness or they, they wouldn't get that job or they fall into their stereotype. They've always had to be perfect in every situation or they're judged like that. And so for that, like that played into mental health and being like, oh, like, I, I can't, I always have to be okay. I always have to be strong. I always have to be like, present myself as ready to go. And I think we've taken that to a point where like we've had to put on this mask for so long and we haven't been able to really be our true self and it's time for us to tell like our community and our people like hey no it's okay for us to to struggle like we've been struggling for so long we can show these these traumas we've been through we can show like you know all the pain we've been through like and, and it's okay to talk about it because we're all probably going through a lot of similar feelings from it whether you know it's racial profiling whether it's going through stereotypes or being prejudiced thoughts actions um those take a toll on our mental health like you know feeling not adequate like feeling like hey like People, some people are judging me and something's wrong with me because of my skin color. Like those play on our mental health. And so the stigma that we have felt to be strong for so long, we don't have to hold that anymore. We are already strong. Like now it's important for us to use this strength to help our whole community. Like, hey, like it's okay for us to go to therapy. I know a lot of the stigma like with black people, like with people of color and mental health is like, hey, you know, go to church, give it to God. Like, okay, I understand that God works miracles. I love my God, I love my Jesus. But at the same time, like with my ACL, I still went to a doctor. I didn't just mm. give it to God. And I want to treat my, my knee like I treat my brain. My brain's a muscle. My brain is one of the most powerful organs in, in my body. And it, it reacts the same way. Like if I treat it, it will get better. So I want to treat that the same way. So, hey, okay, if, if I'm feeling a certain emotion too much or if I'm feeling off or weird for my mental, I want to have a process to help that as well, whether it's therapy, journaling, meditating, talking to a professional, you know, that kind of stuff. Like it, that's how I feel like our community needs to start viewing it um, so we can help others and save others because the statistics are, are bad. Like we're, we're two times more likely to die by suicide. We're two times more likely to be affected by suicide, but three times less likely to get mental health treatment. And we already are at a disadvantage. We don't have enough black therapists. We don't have enough black, you know, mindfulness coaches. We don't have enough black people talking about therapy and talking about, hey, this kind of stuff's okay. So I think these are the things that we need to start talking about in our community to make sure that we, we, we change the statistics and we keep our people here. Because we've been through so much and we're already at a disadvantage. Um, so it's so important for us to feel like we can really be human and talk about all of our struggles together. Solid, with that pivotal moment, because Ryan was talking about his friend and the three questions, 
And you said somebody, I wish I would have said something, done something more than what you did. Yeah. With all the research you've done and all the work you've done, mm -hmm. when when somebody's in that moment, when yeah. you know somebody's hurting, yeah. or if you don't know somebody's hurting, mm -hmm. are you okay? Because most mm -hmm. people are gonna say I'm good. Yeah. Like what what is that process yeah. of helping out yeah. the people that y'all were speaking yeah, to? Yeah, no, and, and that's such an important question. And, and there's uh, a few ways you can go with it too, because and, and first of all, like. I know a lot of people are afraid of asking the question and, and even being there for someone because they feel like they need to know the perfect thing to say. Really just being present and just being there is the first thing you can do. And just, just being there for someone, like, don't feel like you have to know everything or be a mental health professional to even address the question. But I would say first, like, ask someone how they're doing. Like, just ask normal how they're doing. They'll probably say, I'm good, I'm okay. But how are you really doing? Like, follow up with how are you really doing? Because that really, or really doing now in the moment, that can really, like, trigger them to really be like, shoot, okay, maybe he really cares. And then maybe they open up, maybe they tell you stuff, but just listening to them and, and being like, hey, I'm here for you. You don't have to speak. You can say whatever you want, but just know you have me in your pocket. And if you need anything, I'm here for you and I'm here to listen to you. I mean, I'm a safe place for you. And that can unlock like a trigger in their brain to start venting to you, letting them know how you're doing. Um, and if it gets to a point where you feel like it's, it's, it's a bad place and then they're in a really bad place, you can talk to them about, hey, I'm worried about you, but there's help available and you know we can help you get it. You can go to that, you can go that route, or if you're really afraid for their life, there's like, you can call 988, you can admit someone, there's, there's a lot of routes you can go. Um, but I really feel like the most important thing to ask is like, how are you really doing? And letting someone know that you're their safe place, that they can open up to you and just listen to them. I think that, it, that can really like, those small conversations can really save someone's life. Sala, you don't have the struggle look, though. Mm -hmm. Like, when I see a psych patient yeah. who is off his or her meds that's walking down the street, mm -hmm. I can 100% point them out. Mm -hmm. I know exactly who they are. I know mm -hmm. that they're talking to somebody that we can't see. I know mm -hmm. that they're dealing with something, with some sort of demon yeah. that, that we don't know, right? Mm -hmm. That we can't even begin to understand for them. I and you can see that. Yeah. And a lot of times, we place things or we start to allow ourselves to accept things because we could see them, mm -hmm. right? You're a top five draft pick. Mm -hmm. you're, you're in the NFL. You're handsome. Mm -hmm. you're, you're healthy. You, you come from a family that's been well-traveled. I, I, mm -hmm. I was born in Chicago. I've lived in Australia. Mm -hmm. I grew up in Texas. All of these things, that, yeah. that's you, yeah. right? And so now when, when, when you sit up in front of somebody, you have to say, mm -hmm. and you now say, okay, I'm not okay. Mm -hmm. I'm dealing with depression. I'm dealing with things. How hard was it to overcome your own your own self-talk of you actually should be all right? Because mm -hmm. in general, yeah. you're the 1%, bro. Yeah. Like mm -hmm. people that that yeah. people that look like us, people that don't look like us don't live your life. Yeah. How hard was it for you to overcome the fact that in order to admit this out loud, in order for mm -hmm. for other people to accept it, mm -hmm. I got to accept it. That was probably one of the hardest things for me to accept because I didn't want to talk about it. Like I've, I've kind of been a private person my whole life, you know. You know, I, you know, I, I wouldn't always have like the most friends. Was kind of like awkward, like growing up, like just just a goofy kid, and I always kept things to myself because I I don't didn't think people understood me, or I, and I didn't think people ever understand me. Like Ella was really one of the only people to kind of get who I was, but for me to go and, and tell people that I was struggling, like it took a while, like. When I first started speaking about mental health, like I only told Ella's story. I would talk about how Ella felt, what she went through. Like when I, I spoke at the AFS, AFSP gala, when I wrote that first article with Molly and I on ESPN, would only touch on Ella. Six months after that, I did an interview with Bleacher Report, and I, I, was, I, I didn't mean to mention it, but I mentioned like how 
like I was going through a dark time and he kind of pried a little bit. He was asking like, you know, how, how dark was it? Like, and I was like, you know, I was just really struggling. Like, you know, it didn't really, it was just, it was, you know, just a dark time. And then he was like, no, like, what do you, what do you mean by that? And I was like, I didn't want to be here. He said, what did you mean by that? I said, I was suicidal. And, you know, to, to, to say that, like, that was, that was really hard because like you said, like, I had this terrible self-talk to myself, like exactly everything you're saying, exactly what so many people in this world are telling themselves to tell themselves that they shouldn't be feeling the way they're feeling. But it's okay for us to feel the way we're feeling. We all go through certain things in life that we handle differently. We all go through different, like, our brain goes to different chemistry and different balances. And um, mine was going through its own and, and, I, and I was struggling and, I, and I, I needed help and I was struggling. I didn't want to be here. But that mentality was what, what was keeping me from getting help. That mentality was what kept me bottling up my emotions and pushing down my sadness and depression because I told myself I shouldn't be feeling this. Like, I'm rich, I'm, I'm in the NFL, um, you know, I have everything I ever wanted, everything I ever wanted to work for, but why am I feeling so empty? Why am I feeling so dark? And it was just killing me. And, and the reality of it is it's okay for me to feel like that. Like, it, and like mental health doesn't discriminate. It attacks all races. If you're a billionaire, to have no money, like, is we're all inevitably gonna deal with mental health at some point in our life. And that's why it's important for us to have these conversations, talk about them, because we lose the best of the best. We lose mm. amazing people to suicide. It's the most preventable death, but we lose people because we're afraid to have these conversations and we're afraid to address the things that we're all going through. And like, to be completely real with you guys, like talking about this stuff is not something I always wanna do. Like this stuff is hard. Like it, it sucks talking about it sometimes. Like there's days I, like I wake up and I'm like, no, I don't, want to t I don't want to do this interview and talk about me wanting to kill myself and me, my darkest times and my sister dying. Like, but the reaction I get from people, the DM I get from a random person saying, hey, your story saved my life. Hey, I lost my cousin the same way. Hey, I'm feeling the same way you're feeling. Like you, like you telling me that kept me going. Then I'm like, my whole brain is like, dude, there's so many people in this world who are feeling the way you're feeling, who are feeling like Ella, who are feeling like this person who died. Like just keep going because that's like that's what motivates me to keep having this conversation because it saves and helps so many people. And not to call myself a hero or anything or anything, but like the people who are doing this work, the selfless work, they're saving so many lives. Like we did the uh, United Way Gala uh, last week for for the Jets and Giants, and um, I had a couple of teammates there. Like a few, a lot of teammates came and showed out, and it was really special. But to hear them after like even talk, like because these are some guys who who don't take mental health seriously or don't understand it, but they were like, dang, like. So I didn't realize how many people struggle with depression. Cause like after my speech, like 20 people came up to me t saying like, hey, I feel the same way you're feeling. But for them to see that and feel that, I'm like also like gave them motivation to kind of get into the work too. But mm -hmm. ultimately like we're all going through this and we're all going through the human experience in some way. So it's important for us to have this conversation and to continue this talk. You were just recently back in Texas with your family. Mm -hmm. uh, and I was kidding about the dad thing, which y'all do look like. Uh, it's all good. That ain't no joke, hey, bro. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, but like somebody stuck I, an air pin in that. <laughs> clone, clone. Uh, but you won, uh, you were presented uh, the uh, the Faith Fight Finish Game Changer Award by Dak mm -hmm. during his foundation ceremony or event. Um, I wanted to ask, much like the people that hit you up in your DM telling you you've made an impact on their lives, what does it mean to you to know that you're making an impact off the field mm -hmm. and also being recognized by one of your peers from the NFL? Uh, it means the world, Mike, you know, to, to, because this work is hard and it takes, takes a lot, so to, to be recognized for it 
it, I don't do any of it for the recognition, but to be recognized for it and know it's working, this makes it all worth it. Then to be honored by Dak, like, and everything he's been through, like losing his mom, losing his brother Jace to suicide, um, you know, being being the, the status he is and, and everything he does for the community, it meant the world to me. And, you know, it's something I, I told Dak at the event. I just told him, like, hey, bro, I don't, like, you mean a lot to me and I appreciate you so much. Like, he's donated to my foundation. He's mm -hmm. partnered with my foundation. He's amplified our voice. Him and his team have helped us out countlessly. So, like, Dak is, like, like, I would love to call him a friend, but I really do look up to him in, in a lot of ways. Like, you know, he's, the work he does, like, everything he's done for me and my people, everything his everything his team has done for me and my people and everything they're doing for the world. Like he's Walter Payton man of the year for, for a reason. Mm. He's given his time to the people. Like he's probably got to be one of the busiest NFL guys, like being Dallas Cowboy quarterback. And he gives back to the people nonstop. And this, all the, all the causes he has and everything he gives back to, like it meant the world to get that from, from someone of his status. Yeah. And it's the faith fight finish game changer award for kids who struggle with mental health. Mm -hmm. Correct. Yes, sir. Yeah. From your brother. Yeah, yes, sir. From your brother Dak. Yes, sir. <laughs> my brother Dak, my twin. <laughs> your twin, brother. All right, Ted, go be mad. <laughs> Tyler, as you're talking, tell me if I'm wrong. It seems as if you helping people is almost your therapy. Yeah, no, it, it has definitely. My mom and I were talking about this yesterday. Like, uh, we were just talking about how talking publicly has definitely been therapeutic for us in ways. Like, we were just talking about kind of one thing I was hitting on, just like how this work is not fun sometimes and, and it kind of sucks to talk about, but at the same time, it has, it has really helped us like kind of grow and learn in so many ways. Um, you know, learning about ourselves, like learning about how serious this, this uh, epidemic of mental health and suicide are in our nation. Um, but no, it's definitely been therapeutic for me because I've learned, I'm continuously learning, like learning about myself, learning about mental health, the science of the brain, um, learning about people, like, I feel like I connect with people on such a better level now, whether, whether it's just being vulnerable or being able to be present, just listening to people. Um, it has been therapeutic for me. Um, there's, time, there's times that, you know, it, it's not, but there's most yeah. of the time it's really, it's helped me and my family in a lot of ways. And are you worried? Like, to have, I've yeah. never had that feeling. Yeah. Like, for you to say that, like that, you know, every, somebody says, I would I've taken my life. Like, mm -hmm. it takes the breath out of yeah. you. But having felt that, do you, I don't want to say run from, but like, are you worried about ever getting there again? You know, it's a, it's a really good question because, you know, I, it's something that, you know, I've been thinking about more recently, like, you know, about like, what, like, what if I ever got back to that point? And, and the thing is now, like, I'm set up for success if I ever do. Like, I know where to go. I know that it's okay for me to not be okay. I have, I have a support system around me. I have multiple therapists I can call it in, at any time, um, you know. So I'm not worried about getting there anymore. Um, but I know that if I do get there, I'll be okay and I'm gonna get through it, whether it's by myself or whether it's with my support system all around me. And, you know, that's why I think it's important to, to for us to like all talk about this stuff and getting mental health routines and getting help because then you kind of know you have, you have a, a backbone or a foundation to fall on, yeah. whether it's not just your mental health or it's about the people around you or your loved ones. Um, I, I think that's important for sure. I do a lot about trying to figure out what passion is opposed to purpose mm -hmm. and also sometimes just your job. Mm -hmm. Your job is a football player, mm -hmm. right? And part of why your voice can be magnified is because you do a job that makes people believe that what you say is valuable. Mm -hmm. And sometimes when you put so much of yourself into something else that truly has become your purpose, mm -hmm. and I can see it and I can feel it and I can hear it in you, yeah. but in order to play that game, you gotta love it. Mm 
and you have to put certain things aside mm -hmm. in order to focus on that and make that a priority mm -hmm. when it's time. How have you learned to balance the two? Mm -hmm. Because obviously you want to continue to make that impact yeah. off of the field, but part of that voice, part of that platform is what you get an opportunity to do on game day. Mm -hmm. Definitely, and this has been something I've had to learn how to balance, because the first week of May, like I did a lot for mental health, like did a, a, few, like, a few interviews, a few like Instagram lives, and I kind of burned myself out a little bit. And I was like, I had to retract the next week. I was like, dang, like now I have to re really recover and get back into it. Cause when I'm drained mentally, my body's gonna feel the same way. So I had to like learn how to say no the next, well, I, I had to say no the next couple, we uh, couple weeks of some things just so I could recover and make sure that I'm giving ball my all. Like, cause I love this game of football. Like, and listen, my career hasn't gone the exact way I've wanted it to. Like I've struggled and, but I wouldn't change a thing of, of it. Like I really wouldn't, I really wouldn't go and, and try to change it to look like Nick Bosa's. I know people call me crazy, but I've learned so much through it. Like I've really become who I am because of my struggles. I've learned how to love this game again and love it for every inch that it's given me. Um, I've learned so much about mental health myself through the whole journey. It's made me who I am as a, as a whole person. But the beauty of, of the work that I'm doing in mental health and football is I'm learning how they go together. And I'll bring this back to Kobe Bryant. Like Kobe Bryant was one of the most mindful athletes I've ever studied. Like his, if you go like watch his YouTube videos of him talking about being present, his version of being mentally tough, like all that kind of stuff is, is the mental health side of the game that I've learned how to put in my game. Like the acceptance theory, um, you know, accepting like what, things that happen, um, you know, being present, um, taking things one thing at a time, like all that, all that kind of stuff that I've learned from mental health, I apply to my game and you know, it, it's really helped me in my career, like, you know, being able to accept losses, being being able to view failure as not as not a negative thing, um, being able to, you know, challenge my self-doubt and, and change my inner monologue and, and talk to myself better. And I wouldn't have done that if I didn't be in this mental health game. I kind of would have been on the old, like, hey, just you work hard. But now I've understand there's a mental approach to the game too, which has, I think has opened my game. But there's a balance between the off the field work and on the field work. But at the same time, I find a way to tie into the mental health work into my own game to make my so game better. I'm going to be real with you, man. And I, I talk to Fred about it a lot, and we mm -hmm. kind of joke about it. I, mm -hmm. at least prior to starting to have these conversations, I was the problem mm -hmm. with mental health. Yeah. I was an undrafted free yeah. agent. I was a, my, my mom, boy, she going to pray you to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> right? And my pops don't care about nothing. Yeah. Like, nothing phases him. And so, if you were going through things, on one hand, I got my pop saying, boy, listen, listen, Bubba, yeah. we ain't got time to worry about that. We got to move forward. And I got yeah. my mama saying, let's get on our knees. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I would, and I don't want to use the word pushback, I would debate that me being the way I was and not accepting mm -hmm. sadness, not yeah. accepting depression, not accepting adversity as a negative is the only, is one of the top reasons I'm here. Mm -hmm. And in our game, bro, you know, like, we're not taught vulnerability. Yeah. yeah. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. it's it's almost like this constant fight yeah. to prove that I'm not soft. Yeah. And I don't want people to get me wrong. I'm not saying being aware of your mental mm -hmm. health is soft, but I'm yeah. saying it could have that perception in what we do. Yeah. yeah. So for you, when you started to grasp that and try to understand and approach not only your off the field life, but your on the field life in that way. How are you able to allow others to see 
that it's not going to change my aggression. Mm -hmm. It's not going to change the way I approach it. If we in the foxhole mm -hmm. or if we in the alley, I'm still yeah. your dude. Yeah. Like I'm still the same things that got me picked third overall. Yeah. Now I can just approach other things about taking care of my mind in a mm -hmm. different way. Yeah, I mean, this is the Sally on the field and the Sally off the field. Like when I'm on the field, like, I'm not out there like pouring out my heart and stuff. Like I'm, I'm like, hey, you know, like, get up, like, brother. Like, <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's okay. I got you. Thanks, big man. <laughs> you know, I'm playing ball. Like you know, we're getting, and we're in the trenches. You know, so it's a violent, physical day every single day, and I have to prepare for that. But like, like I said, I, I try to be the same every day on the field and the same every day off the field. Like off the field, I'm present. I'm genuine. I'm gonna be real with you. I'm going to laugh, we're going to have a good time. If I think you're struggling, I'm going to ask you how you're doing. But when I'm on the field, I'm going to be the best team I can be in the world. I'm going to play my ass off. Like, I'm going to show you the highest effort player you're ever going to see. I'm going to be as violent as I can and, and try to get to the quarterback and, and do whatever I can to help my team. But, and just because off the field I'm vulnerable and I tell people my feelings and tell people I'm sensitive, that has that has nothing to do with how I'm gonna be on the field. If you like, play somebody like him, he'd talk about you. And you yeah. know it, Chan. Yeah. If you play solid, Right, yeah. or if he if he back, was on back, a, back in my younger life, yeah. 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 <laughs> would you would you be reading his his press clippers? Yeah. I'd have read the story and be yeah. like, oh yeah, yeah. No, I told your ass up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> 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 hey, <laughs> big man, think about something else. Yeah. 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 Sad boy, sad boy, over there. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I promise he said. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but have you have you to that point now? Have you? You said the league has changed. You yeah. brought you brought up that. Yeah. Who kind of, you know, it's a catalyst yeah. that Kevin Love, different yeah. people, DeMar DeRozan. Are players changing though? Because the guys I play yeah. with would look at you crazy yeah. if you walked in the locker room yeah. talking like this. Yeah, I for sure do think players have changed. Like, you know, a year after my sister died by suicide, like I said, like I had like players like Defoe, Eric reaching out to me, seeing what I was doing. And then the year after that, I started getting more calls. Like guys like asking me, like, hey, like, how do I deal with a family member that's struggling? Hey, like, what do I what do I do if I need help? I'm kind of struggling. Like, and like, well, what route did you go? The year after that, when I got to the Raiders, it's like, I said my my first month there, like I had, I had probably eight guys ask me how to get into therapy. And I was like, wow, like this is like the ch conversation is really changing. And then you have more guys speak out. Like you have Darren Waller, Max Crosby, um, you know, Darius Leonard, so many people like talking about you know mental health, whether it's through addiction, whether it's through depression, whether it's through whatever they went through. So many guys talking about mental health more and more. The year with the Raiders, I had a teammate, you know, credit like one of his best years of his career to going to consistent therapy. Mm -hmm. And now he doesn't miss therapy on a Thursday ever again. Like, and then I come to the Jets and, you know, you know, it's a different group of guys, younger team, but I have guys who are for guys who are against it. Um, but it's, it's, we're all just in this journey together because whether we understand it or not now, at some point we're gonna have to have to go through it. I do believe the temperament of it has changed in the league. Like I really do think guys are accepting of it. I think our whole world is understanding that, hey, like we cannot be okay and and be okay at the same time. Like it's okay, yeah. like I can be struggling this ass like this this facet of my life, but also be okay in this facet. And like um I, I think that's 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 a really beautiful thing for people to understand because uh we don't always yeah. It gotta be one or two assholes out mm -hmm. there though. Oh, I mean, for, for, uh, on the field, honestly, no one's ever said anything to me. <laughs> I'm going to be real with you. Yeah. No one said anything crazy to me about mental health or anything. I'm sure we've had conversations in the locker room where guys just like, you know, that's fake. Like, of course I've had those conversations. But we have to have those conversations. Right. Like, I, and that's a problem with our world nowadays and kind of everything. We can't agree to disagree. And, like, I can understand why someone, like, Ryan, like you said, like, you are where you are because of how you view mental health. And, like, I can't argue that with you because you had an unbelievable career and an unbelievable career off the field. 
sitting here now. Like, I can't tell you that, hey, like, oh, you should have thought about this differently because you got to where you got. But now that we were in this space, I agree. if you are ever struggle again, then like we can have a different conversation and like, you know, but like it's, things it's change. You like, say that though. I've gone to therapy now, but mm -hmm. that had to come with learning. Mm -hmm. That had to yeah. come with an acceptance of myself and saying, yeah, what you think you know, mm. you don't necessarily understand everything about yourself or what you're dealing with. Yeah. But I had to be willing to take that step. And mm. I think for so long, it was my crutch to not fall into some of the places you mentioned. Though. Yeah. It was, nah, man, we can't be sad. Yeah. You know, we cutting, we working at LSU, we can't feel that. Yeah. Like, because I felt like that was the only way to take that next step, put one foot yeah. in front of the other. And maybe that was me coping with my mental health at that point mm. in the only way that I felt like I could. Right, and to Chan's point, the league has changed a lot. You know, it, it's not this, this caveman-like mentality, just hit, run through people. It's changing all different uh, forms and fashions. Uh, and, and I know we always talk about it takes a village. You know, during draft week, when I was away from you guys, I met with, we did a round table, with the NFL Legends group. We met with uh, Roger Goodell, mm -hmm. Troy Vincent, yeah. and they pretty much just pitched it out to us and asked us, you know, what can we do better, mm -hmm. you know, as, a, as an entity, as the NFL, you know, to help guys. Yeah. And I, it, it starts with awareness, like RC says, going back, the guys are more aware. Maybe that's why they're less you know, machismo and in your face and trying to get guys off their game that way because it's a necessity. And they're starting to understand that, mm -hmm. you know, guys can really take heart to that. And these are people's lives. It's not a game, it's lives. Mm -hmm. But what they wanted to do is develop a community of communication, mm -hmm. right? A community of transparency and vulnerability, having players tell their stories, mm -hmm. you know, so that way, guys can use those stories as references to say, look, I'm not alone in this. Yeah. Um, and we, we got a lot from that because they provide tons and tons of resources mm -hmm. that we tend to say, well, nobody reached out to me. Yeah. You know, when I was here, I was in the locker room, everybody wanted my attention. Yeah. Now that the game is over and I'm no longer there, they've dumped me to the side and, and that can allow guys to fall into depression. So what they want to do is just create a community where there's always going to be contact. And it starts things as simple as that. Yeah. Having contact. Yeah. Teams, let's create these email chains and let's yeah. put the guys on email group. The NFL PA has an app where guys go on there and they just, it's like the locker room away from the locker room. They're also trying to create programs where in your local communities, they have the, you know, they have the, uh, the, the alumni programs at each uh, NFL city, but they're also trying to create these locker room type environments where, you know, guys can go play golf together and get discounts at a, you know, a local course or the top golfs in, in different clubs and places where guys can, you know, feel a part of something, yeah. I mean, you know, because those, the triggers are what they are. You know, you, you come up a certain way for years and then, you know, within the snap of a finger, you're alone, you're yeah. isolated. Yeah. And the guys can fall into those traps mm -hmm. and then start dealing with these mental things. So the point I'm trying to make is there are, for at least us, mm -hmm. you know, and, and I know you're handling a lot of stuff off the field and outside, but for us, our fraternity, mm -hmm. there are so many different ways to seek help. It starts with them hearing this, mm -hmm. them seeing it, and then going out there and do it. But it takes us on here to pull these guys in to make sure we're not reading, you know, about them, you know, yeah. two, three years after they've retired. 
they've been locked away. They're battling depression, anxiety, yeah. you know, this and that. I want to end by asking you, what are some of the resources you would share with, you know, just the general public and people mm-hmm. that are, you know, watching, going to watch this episode? Yeah, I mean, some of the resources I would tell people, like, just, just off rip, like, um, the new 988 number, uh, crisis call line, um, whether you whether you text or call it, like, there's a mental professional there for you. Um, you can text 741-741, that's, that's the text uh, crisis line. But besides that, like, you know, there's great foundations like AFSP who, who can find, you know, resources, who who label resources in your area or whether it's Fate Five Finish, like, you know, they do a great job with resources or my foundation, the defensive line. Like, you know, there's there's a lot of different like foundations out there who do a lot of great work. Um, but most importantly, just like understand like in your area, like where help is, whether it's like a counselor, whether it's a clinician, whether it's a therapist, like trying to find those, those resources and um, like also like just, just, just for mental health in general, um, you know, having a safe place like having like even if you can't find a therapist or you can't find a find someone who who who's a professional um knowing that like hey like say like me and you like you're my safe place having something like that like that can that can be your your your, uh your resource as well but because like we in in certain scenario situations we never know what it's going to be like so just having like professional help is great too but also having your local help too and your and your, just your support system is is always important too so having those safe places i think is huge a great woman's social media bio once said if you admire someone go ahead and tell them because people never get their flowers while they could smell them that was your sister mm-hmm. and since she can't be here to tell you man i'm extremely proud of the work you've done, starting with yourself, because without taking care of yourself, you can't be here to take care of people that truly need what you're doing. I believe it is your purpose. I believe you attack it with passion, but I know you do this, but just as a, as a big brother, as somebody who has, has been in your shoes, take care of yourself, man. Mm-hmm. I think we start to get focused and we become breadwinners, we become the the person that everybody could look to for help so much. And part of our culture is if I've made it, not only do my people have to make it, but I have to go back into the community. And now you're doubling that up with the mental health community as well. And I just think that we are made to carry certain, certain burdens and we are made to carry certain things, but sometimes it can be too much. And so I love when you said last week I had to take some time for me mm-hmm. and I had to focus on what I had to focus on because you can't do us no good if your cup is empty, man. So continue to fill your cup, man. Thank you for giving us that time. And Ella, her, her, her name, her, her life, it was not in vain, man. You keep her alive every single day doing what you're doing. Sure. We appreciate you, bro. Thank you. Yes, appreciate sir. Man. Appreciate you, too. Hey, I told you it's big, though, man. Appreciate you, man. Get my people feeling militant. Way I'm feeling, get me up. Uh, on the mission, get me up. Uh, knowing me, I got the key. Uh, only vision I can trust. Uh, trust. Uh, limitless. Nigga, 
feeling militant. When I'm feeling